Hey, everybody. Alex, that is a real terrible impersonation of Dr. Nick there. Uh, hey, folks, got a couple notes here before we start the show. Forgot to include this in the show, but definitely want to send happy birthday messages to Homer Get Stuffed. Uh, Homer, happy birthday from, you know, a terrible impersonation of Dr. Nick. But also, we do have a Sophie's Trophies for you all today. Only thing is, it is on God of War Ragnarok, and we were kind of concerned about spoilers. Not that, you know, Sid's going to try and go out there and spoil anything for anybody. But obviously, this is a discussion of trophies, and we weren't sure if there were any kind of story giveaways in those trophies. You know, trophies are so often tied to stories. So we put that at the end of the show. So after the outro rolls, you'll be able to listen to Sid's episode of Sophie's Trophies on God of War Ragnarok. So yeah, happy birthday, Homer, and uh, please enjoy this episode. So your wife streams. Do you do any streaming, Matt? No, no. I just, uh, I just do watching. Fair, but are you ever on her streams and you'll you comment as she plays? Oh yeah, I'll I'll sit back and I'll uh, I'll listen. And obviously, I'm a mod on her channel, so I can, you know, filter out the riffraff. Why haven't you figured out filtered out Tricky? Because clearly he's the yeah, riff, riff, <laughs> riffiest raff of the riffraff. He sneaks in when I'm asleep. Like a like a New York City sewer rat, he sneaks in there. <laughs> you are listening to Trophy Horse with your hosts, Tricky Mick, Alex, I yield to no one, Steve, and Sid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trophies of Horrors. This is episode 549, and I got a little bit of a different crew with me this week, and I'm going to try to pay these ju- these uh, guests justice because, you know, Tricky always does his little pumped up imp- imp- uh, intros for everybody, so I'm going to try a little bit of that flavor this week. With this, we have, uh, he's got his master's degree in Zeldaology. It's our good friend, Matt G. Hey, hey, so glad to be on when I can finally talk my mind and relay the fact that Tricky continuously gives the wrong information that he says Zelda Breath of the Wild is not a Zelda game and that he also incorrectly tells the folks that Metal Gear Solid Twin Stakes is not a remake. So I'm glad I finally get to be here to to confirm that Breath of the Wild is indeed a Zelda game and Twin Snakes is indeed a remake of Metal Gear Solid. You know, I don't know if you heard last show, Matt. I demanded an apology for Caneless from a previous show when he told him, uh, Caneless in chat, saying Twin Snakes was a a remake and Tricky was denying it. We are trying to record and I have to edit this week. Get out. All right, he's muted. Boy, really fucked that up. Thanks, Tricky. <laughs> no, but I was asked. Couldn't let me go on my spiel. No, but I was asking for an apology for Caneless, because Caneless was right. Everybody backed Caneless up, and Tricky was like, no, 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 Tricky was wrong. It's just another one of those hills that Tricky wants to die on, so, but of course, Tricky's not going to man up. Tricky's not going to give his apology, but, uh, but yeah, I'm glad you're here, Matt, because, you know, you don't bullshit. You're not going to die on a stupid hill like Tricky will. 
Now I got, but I'll, I'll introduce our our next guest. But I want to ask you a question about Zelda, Matt. I know we're a PlayStation podcast, but I got a Zelda question for you. Uh, you know this this other guest. You might have at one point confused him for a pirate, but uh, what? How many pirates do you see going to Pink Floyd cover bands and getting sloshed? It's Rick. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, I can't comment on the um, Zelda situation, but I can definitely comment on Twin Snakes. And it is definitely a remake. I don't know how tricky it can say it's a port. Oh, yeah. I mean, a port would be Metal Gear Solid 1 ported straight over to play on the GameCube as it was on the PlayStation 1. Um, 32-bit uh, and everything. This is a complete remake from the ground up in a brand new engine, so it plays like Metal Gear Solid 2. So I don't know how I can say it's a port. But yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you for uh, recording early, especially for me. I'll be able to go to bed before midnight, I think. If this is your first episode, uh, when Rick records with us, usually we record at 7, and Rick's usually, yeah, it's, it's getting on to 11 o'clock midnight, and by the time we finish our two-hour escapades, it's probably closer to 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, so Rick being across the pond, we thought it would be easier just on him to record a little bit earlier this week. We appreciate you spending some of your Saturday with us, so we can make a few sacrifices for you, sir. Sorry, now, Matt. Sunday. Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. He said Saturday. No, I did say so. Oh, I've gotten the days confused. I went to bed really early last night. I was really tired from my overnight shift on Friday, and I basically spent most of my Saturday sleeping, so uh, I might be a little off. But, all right, Matt, so we got Tears of the Kingdom coming out next year. It's going to be a huge release. What are some things you want to see out of that game? Any changes you want to see made from Breath of the Wild? Because last week I talked about how I want more of a style of Darksiders 2 with the Zelda, you know, bigger open world with dungeons, like classic Zelda dungeons dispersed throughout. What are some things you're hoping to see from this upcoming blockbuster? So, I would really hope that they do away with the uh, durability system on the weapons. I think that would be huge to be able to allow you and afford you different builds. So, kind of agreeing with what you did last week was, you know, have it have it be a little more dungeon focused. Now, I don't want dungeons the length of what happened in previous Zelda games. It the old style dungeons just feel too long for me, but I definitely don't want them as short as the temples were in Breath of the Wild. So I want to see some semblance of dungeons back. I want to see some kind of flight system since it's talking about how there's now verticality to it. So it the glider was nice, but I'd like to see some more flying capabilities. And I, I think those are my couple biggest points that I think that they can make out of it. Otherwise, just give me the Master Sword, give me the Hylian Shield, and uh, let me save the princess. Yeah, I thought the Divine Beasts were a very interesting idea, and if implemented correctly, they could have been like a great part of the game. But it also feels like they weren't fully realized and were kind of a disappointment because I think a lot of people went in and expected them to be like classic Zelda dungeons and they weren't. And then you fought like the different forms of Ganon, you know, the different blights of Ganon and it was kind of like, uh, for me that was the big disappointment. So I kind of want them to marry a little bit of the new with the old and find some kind of happy medium where everybody who plays Zelda can be happy. I really liked on the Divine Beasts the ability to manipulate the environment by changing uh, you know, angles of the beast or changing functions. I think if you could do that with like a traditional dungeon, that would create a really neat puzzler for people. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
All right, well, y'all, it's it's good to have you all here. How, how's everybody doing this week? You guys had a good week? Yeah, it's been all right. It's been um, today's. I work. I work um, five days, so I have two days off a week. And my my one day like changes around. I always have Sunday off, and then my other day changes around, which is why I can be on quite often. I have Monday off, which is why I can be on um, there in the Twitch chat a lot of times. But uh, this week it's just been. I had Tuesday off earlier in the week, I think, so it's just been like five days, so I work on Saturday, and now it's just one day off, and I'm back at work tomorrow, so it feels like a short weekend. Yeah, Rick, I don't know how much, I know you uh, you guys have had a lot of uh, political upheaval over there across the pond in the UK, but uh, this past week was, uh, for some of us, a very nail-biter when it comes to uh, polit- politics, because we had our midterm elections this week, and I'm sure that watching American politics anywhere else but America is kind of like a fucking circus at this point, a three-ring circus. Oh, yeah. Well, it has been for a few years, yeah. <laughs> Bit of a circus. So, yeah. What is, so, what, what is it that you're actually, um, what is it, this midterms? It's for people in the Senate, is it, or for the Senate to get so we had So, we had a lot of governor's races. We also uh, had a lot of races in the Senate, and but even more so, we had more, most of the ho- the seats in the uh, House of Representatives were up for, um, uh, upper grabs. So you have in our Congress, you obviously have the House as one well on one side, and then you have Senate on the other side. So we had a lot of people in the in the uh, in Congress up for uh, re-election, or you know, people trying to take those seats. It basically the control between the two Democrats and Republicans, the control of the Senate and the House was up for grabs. And you had a lot of gubernatorial elections, a lot of Secretary of States, and then even on some ballots, the amendments to um, uh, like you know, state constitutions. So it was a big week, probably one of the biggest midterm elections we've ever had. But uh, I'm glad to see Matt survived it because I uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to survive it at some point. Staying up late to look at the results, bro. The, so in my office, first and foremost, my last the list this last week was my first week back after a week long vacation. So coming back to 700 plus emails was always a joy. And then in my office, we actually have a very uh, amicable relationship with each other in my department, but. My leadership is starkly contrast to my political beliefs. So hearing them all week, I I wish I had hair so I could rip it out. But it was, to your point and to Rick's view, it is an utter shit show watching all this go down. Yeah. So we'll we'll step away from the politics because we don't want to get too divisive. But uh, yeah. but yeah, that that's how our week was, Rick. We were we were going through midterm elections, and I'm glad just everyone survived. Um, Probably use some escapism in video games to get through, but uh, bringing up video games, we, as always, have our updated trophy count before we get into the meat of the matter. Tricky is level 685 with a total trophy count of 16,906 and a platinum count of 375. Unfortunately, Tricky is the only one of us, I believe, who's played God of War Ragnarok, unless I'm wrong about that, y'all. Yeah, I, don't yeah, I, I wish Tricky would have been here to be able to talk about God of War Ragnarok, but oh god, he's back. Tricky's trying to hijack the chat. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, I muted him, so he ain't getting in here anyway, any, any way, anyhow. But so yeah, look, hopefully we'll have Tricky back next week so he can talk about it. Oh no! I'm about to create a separate chat just so Tricky can't be a part of our party. Um, but yeah, uh, Tricky so far seems to be enjoying it. He says he's taking his time, but I guarantee Tricky at some point will have the platinum trophy. Probably, I mean, hell knows, who knows, maybe before he's on another show. But um, I am level 464, total trophy count of 8,160 with a platinum count of 131. Yield 
is a level 42 with a total trophy count of 8888 and a platinum count of 159. Sid is level 785, total trophy count of 20,091 with a platinum count of 616. Rick, sir, do you have your trophies ahead of you, sir? Uh, yeah, or I'm in front of you. 289, uh, 1,765, um, 33 plus. And Maggi? I'm level 216, 1,233 trophies, and zero platinums. You're the smartest one of all of us. I, I just like playing games for games. I don't need the little endorphin rush when that thing goes ding. I will say that the endorphin rush never gets old. Yeah. Um, before before we get into what we've been playing, obviously God of War is the big release, and I've kind of been tempted to purchase it. Like my, I had the pre-order button highlighted on PSN, and I had my finger on the button, and I just decided not to pull the trigger. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just kind of don't want to start a new game right now. Are you guys just not interested at all in God of War? Never played any of the games? Don't really like the new how they spun it after you know the hack and slash from the PS2 era and PS3. I loved the early games, like one one through three. Um... And even the spin-offs. I just I love the hack and slash ones. And I played maybe four hours of the new one, four or five hours, and I was just nah, it's not for me. Too too slow. Uh, so I, I doubt I'll be playing. So I bought one. Sorry not. No, all good. So I bought twenty eighteen when it was on sale for like twenty bucks, and I played through maybe a couple hours of it and got to the Dark Elf territory. And for me, combat just started crumbling apart, and I couldn't get past this one part, so I just stopped playing. And because of that, I just don't think I'll pick up the new one. Maybe again when it's on sale, and I'll go back and play it on easier difficulty, just to say I played it. Get that credit, I see. Yeah, I, I'm i sure I'll play it at some point. It's just the the base mythology of everything. Like, if this is Greek mythology or Egyptian, it's like, yep, I'm on board day one. But then, because it's Norse, and I'm just not as big on Norse mythology... I'm I'm not as keen to download it, but you know who knows. I'll like I said, I'll probably get it at some point. But you know, none of us have played been, been playing God of War. But fellas, what have you been playing, Matt? I'll start with you. I actually put a lot of time into a bunch of games this past week. Uh, first and foremost, I picked up New World on PC. It's that Amazon MMO that was killing G- uh, RTX 3090s. So I gave it enough time. My wife V has been playing it, and uh, she's been playing it on her Twitch channel. And she convinced me because there's a fire staff in the game and I get to use it as a flamethrower. So naturally that hones right into what I do. Well, that that rate of fire must be pretty incredible for it to be a flamethrower. That's got to be almost constant. Yes, I just hit Q and anything in front of me dies. It's beautiful. And I got the rate of of fire double entendre. By by the way, do we... uh... Do we have to apologize? To, well, not me or anybody else in this chat, but do we owe your wife an apology? Because apparently Tricky, Tricky's been heckling her in her Twitch chats. I wouldn't call it heckling, and V is more than capable of handling herself, and I get to hear everything that he says, which means that when I get to come on the show and he's not here, I get to kind of do and say what I want. Well, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rein you in, sir. So whatever you want to say, I trust that you know you'll say, you know, you'll stay respectful, and I'm not gonna have to cut anything out. But you know, if you want to go a little, uh, a little, uh, oh, I, I don't know, if you want to lone wolf it here, you're more than welcome to. 
Listen, man, I, I'm not going to get all mavericky out there to use a uh, certain politician's term, but he came in a couple months ago to the chat and tried to get my wife to agree that Breath of the Wild was not a Zelda game, and that just failed horribly. And he just, next thing I know, he's going to try to get in and convince her that Twin Snakes isn't a uh, isn't a remake, and that's just going to fail miserably. So come on, Tricky. Keep coming. Keep coming with them, and we will handle you accordingly, sir. I just think it's sad that you try to brainwash your wife, and your wife's like, I'm much, much too smart for your bullshit. Uh, the bar's not high. Well, <laughs> sir, continuing on, I, I cut you off on what you've been playing. You said you had a lot going on, so let's uh, let's hear it. <laughs> so, also, me and my buddies started Tiny Tina's Wonderland, and since we're a bunch of D&D nerds, it just... The the humor can be childish, but we love every little bit of it. There's this one section where you're fighting these gnomes that are blue colored and they're called Murphs. And the description is they're Murphs and they're definitely not anything else that rhymes with Murphs. So just get over it. And everything they do in the game is hilarious. Uh, I've also been doing a little emulation on my Steam Deck and in preparation for what I believe is going to be the Loop Bros next game of the month for their club is I've been loading up Siphon Filter. And going back to that gem, it really was great for what it did at the time, but controls are what they are now, and the game did not age well. Um, then I also had a friend over yesterday. We did a little local co-op with a bunch of games, including Soul Calibur Six. And uh, I don't know if you guys ever played, but I main Nightmare, and I challenge anybody who wants to play me in that. Also played a little Gunfire Reborn, it's a uh, Souls, or I'm sorry, a, uh, a roguelite FPS action shooter, multiplayer, it's a lot of fun. And the final thing I'll go into is Have a Nice Death. If you've played Hades, this is basically like that. It's a run-based game. You play as death in control of your own corporation, and all of your underlings have kind of gone off the reservation. You need to go out there and rein them in. It's a lot of death humor it has some sensitive touchy subjects in it you know things like suicide and and whatnot but it's all done with a very specific sense of humor and death is just very frustrated none of his underlings are following his orders and it's resulting in more paperwork so you got to go out there defeat them and get your company back and that's basically all i've been doing this week nice that's a nice selection of games and i got a couple questions because i love hearing people talk that aren't me um so matt uh one Quicker question, uh, the game you just talked about, is that available on PlayStation consoles, or is it just, like, Steam, or is, um... Uh, well, that's a very good question. Mm. It, it sounds like a cool concept. Because cool, I have not played Hades. It... Have a nice death. Uh, and it looks like it is only on steam and it's on pre-order for switch oh, okay well i do have a switch so and i wouldn't have to worry about the trophies so that's a nice little plus there but no that that does sound like a very intriguing game that i might want to play and i'd still want to play hades at some point but um but yeah so if it's any uh those might be two games i have to add to my list looking forward and then the other question sir so it seems like a lot of people who have bought the Steam Deck so far, like it's not like they're, you know, starting a game and playing it front to back or like start like start to finish. It seems like there's a lot of setup going on because people are putting as many games on the Steam Deck as they can. Like right now is the prep period for Steam Deck, or at least the first week is the prep period where you just put as many games as you can on the on there and then you'll eventually start playing stuff down the road. Is that how it's been for you? 
kind of. There's certain games that I put on there that I absolutely have started playing. I've never actually beaten Grand Theft Auto 4, and I'm making good headway in that. But for me, it's predominantly been my emulation machine, and I've got everything from Atari up to PlayStation 2 running on it. And it's helped me go back through some older games that I've really wanted to get, like Siphon Filter. Uh, I've started another run on Breath of the Wild, and, you know, I... uh, in preparation for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, I went out there and got Ultra Sun. Yeah, Pokemon Ultra Sun and started playing through that because, you know, it's the little machine that could and it does a lot of stuff uh, really well. And I'm sure that's a big selling point for it, emulation, that you can put all different kinds of games on there. So that's only going to help it, you know, even though, you know, it does cost a pretty penny for the the highest version, you know, just the fact that you can put so many games on it has to be the biggest pro- the biggest selling point of all, you know, besides it being portable and on the go. Absolutely. Before we get into what Rick's been playing, have you picked which version of Scarlet or Violet you're going to get? Yeah, Scarlet. Uh, my wife's going to get Violet, and I've always stuck with the red-themed game as close to it as we could with when they started going off the reservation with, like, Sword and Shield. But... Yeah, going to be doing Scarlet, so I'll be in basically the past Paldea region for the most part. And uh, as always, I go with the Firestarter. Well, that was my next question. Yeah, I'm kind of, I know they leaked the starters evolutions, or at least they have leaked online, and I was going to get Sprigatito's final, pick Sprigatito, but then I saw its final evolution, I'm like, hmm, that's... I'm not too keen on that, so I don't know. It's either going to be between the fire and the water, and usually I'm, I go water. I picked Sobble last time, but I might pick Foy Coco depending on uh, how Foy Coco turns out. But I've avoided the evolution leaks. Once I saw them, I just stopped going to all the Pokemon subreddits. Yeah. Um, so I want to be surprised by what Foy Coco comes about. But what about you, Rick? Are you ever into Pokemon? <laughs> Probably talk about vacant expression, but no. <laughs> I played a little okay. bit back in the day. Um, I was just going to ask if it's still turn based. Or have they moved on from that now? It depends on the game. Oh, right. It really depends on the game. But uh, for the most part, the traditional ones, yes, are still turn-based. You know, I was just going to ask if you had your favorite starter, but that's perfectly fine. It's not a game that everybody needs to get into. Yeah, I don't don't even have a favorite starter from the the OG games. It's not something I've um, ever played through. To be fair, I uh, I think I got pretty sick of Sword. Or I I bought Shield. I got pretty sick of Shield after playing through Shield because... Just catching that many Pokemon and, and battling. So I'm not a big fan of the battle system, which is why I was hoping it would be more like Legends Arceus. But you know what? I love the collection aspect of it, and I love the legendaries. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to jump back in. I'm just going to take my time more with this one. I'm not going to try to go gangbusters and get and catch as many Pokemon as I can in you know three hours and then make myself sick of the mechanic. But yeah, it's, I, I kind of get it, Rick. I, I have myself, like for, for a while, turned off to Pokemon. I played the first two games. Uh, red and blue, and then I went on like just dark period until uh, let's go Eevee and let's go Pikachu. So I just I, I totally get it, but I just I love collecting little monsters, so I I will yeah. always come back. <laughs> all right, all right, Rick. So no God of War, no Pokemon, none of the big games really that are coming out soon. But what what have you been playing? Um, Slay the Spire. Finally got the platinum in that, which I've been working on for. Well, I think maybe April. April, I think I started it. So, good six months. Um, so that was a nice platinum to get. I'm actually playing it now on the Xbox. I'm going to start streaming um, 
as you can, you can probably see, well, it's, we're not on Twitch, are we? But last time my camera was like a potato. You could, couldn't see anything on my camera on the uh, group, but now you can. I've got a new laptop, new camera and everything. So I'm going to start streaming a bit more now. I finally got that sorted out. So my plan is to stream that through to Ascension 20 on Xbox, which I'm doing Ascension 3 at the minute. But uh, what else have we been playing? I'm playing, started at Dragon Age Origins. Played uh, maybe four hours of it or something, and then it's just, I've, I've stopped that because I've gone back to Slay the Spire. I played through Toe Jam and Earl, the um, Genesis to you, Mega Drive version, uh, just on PS3, just to get to, just to get some trophies, so I felt like I was doing something. Uh, what else? Minecraft Dungeons, I've had to start that up again because they've added more trophies. It's up to 105 trophies now. So I did have uh, the 100%. I've had the 100% about three times now, and every time, every couple of months, you just add some more trophies. So I'm hoping that it maxes out soon. I'm not sure how many trophies they can keep adding to that list till it maxes out, but it's up to 105 at the minute. So I've got eight more to do in that. And I also started up Final Fantasy VIII, uh, and not really played much of it. Just played through some Triple Triad, uh, right at the beginning of the game, because I'm just decided I'm just going to get OP, because you can, um, you don't if you level up on that, it get, get the enemies level up with you, and it just gets harder. So the best thing to do is to not actually try and fight too many battles because you can you can get cards through the triple triad game, and then you can convert these cards into magic, and then junction the magic to your stats. So you can end up with like two hundred strength or something like that right at the start of the game if you play through the card game quite a bit. So I'm just going to be working through that. Uh, other than that, that's about it. All right, anything. Anything on the radar, Rick? Anything you're looking to buy soon? Because um, I've been like you, and I've been going back to my old PlayStation 3 games, because I think my downfall with PlayStation 3 games and getting trophies was that I never looked back to check on DLC, so I would get 100%, and then I would like would go back years later, and it's like, they released DLC for this? Whoa, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood has DLC about the disappearance of Da Vinci? Just... So I think that was my downfall, but you got anything on your radar soon that you're a big release that you're looking forward to buying? Honestly, no. Not really. I'm complete. I've gone out of it the last few months. I'm not really paying attention to new releases or anything. I'm just um, plodding along. I'm quite happy spending my money on like Mega Drive games rather than buying new games, PS5 games or anything. I've like my I've hardly touched my PS5. My PS5's downstairs, and my boy plays that most of the time. I'm up here in the games room. I've just got a base PS4 up here that I play. It's. I don't know. Maybe it sounds like a Steam Deck is would be a good purchase for you if you want to play a bunch of old games. No, because I, I no, it's not just the playing them. It's the, that's what I want to spend my money on. I don't want to play them. <laughs> I just want to buy them and put them on my shelf and look at them. Um, I'm, I'm like Slay the Spire is going to keep me going for it. I'm I'm completely addicted to it. So that's going to keep me going for the next two or three months. I think. So you're going to go for the hundred percent on Xbox too? Oh yeah, definitely yeah. I was so proud. I was so proud to get that platinum. Rick, do you have a uh, gaming PC? No. <laughs> oh, okay. No, there's another game out there. I want. I if it ever comes to console, I want you to keep an eye out for it. And it's called Across the Obelisk. Basically, it is Slay the Spire with four protagonists of different classes, and it's like a map-based thing, but you go on an adventure trying to find other people in those classes. I'll send you a link in, in the uh, Loop Bros right, Discord. Cool. It's really fun, but from what I know, it's only on PC right now. Well, I, I mean, I've 
got a laptop, but it's certainly not a gaming laptop. It's I mean, it took me a long, took me three nights to get it so I could stream and you could actually hear my microphone properly. So I doubt you'll be able to play anything. Uh, yeah, probably not. But like I said, it's just something to keep an eye out if they ever go console level. Rick, for those, since you're so uh, in love with, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, since you like playing Slay the Spire so much, it was free for PlayStation Plus, and maybe some people, you know, downloaded or added to their library and never started playing it. But what kind of, what style of game is it, for those who don't know? Well, it's it's a deck builder. Um, you start off, you've got three, well, there's four characters now, there used to be three characters, but you, you just... You're going up levels on a spire. I think it ends up being like 30 or 40 floors, and each floor you can select um, You select your path. There'll be, there might be battles, or there might be events, or there might be elites, which are like super hard fights. And each each act has a boss. There's three acts, and then it goes to four acts when you go to fight the heart. Sorry, I'm not very good at explaining. But it, yeah, it's a deck builder. You start off, you have to, you'll do a fight, and then you'll get a choice of three cards at the end of the fight, and you'll get a little bit of gold, and you might get a potion or something like that. So you have to start looking at what cards you want, and you you start building up your deck. Like Some cards are defend, some cards are attack. Like The, the person I'm playing as at the minute is called the Silent, and they're very good with poison. Uh, so you, you're trying to build up your poison cards. Um... Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm at a loss for words here. No, I mean you're you're doing a fine job, Rick. Trust me. When I try to describe a video game to people that may not may have never heard of it or played it, I feel like an idiot. I'm like, man, I'm probably painting the worst possible picture, the un un Da Vinci. I'm painting something that yeah. no one knows. What I'm running running around in circles. So no, you did a fine job there, sir. Um, the, the, the best thing you can do if you want to see uh, Slay the Spire is I I like say I'm going to start streaming it a bit, and I'm not really chatting on stream either. But you can at least watch me play it and see how I do it. Or there's a guy called, I think he's Barla Lord, I think that's how you say it. I've never actually heard him say his name, so I don't know how it's said. It's B-A-L-O-R, Lord. And he's like, a, he's a pro player, man. He's, I've got so much, um, so many ideas from watching him play. So you can go on YouTube or he's on Twitch. Watching his YouTube videos, it's, he's got some really good explanation videos and stuff like that where he can just teach you how to play a bit, what to look out for and things like that. So if, you, if there's any interest in it, that's where you should start. But like, yeah, it was free for PS Plus, so there's no harm in just loading it up on a second account if you don't want to get the trophies on it and just have a look. It's also on Game Pass at the minute, uh, so you can play it there as well. For anyone who's never played a deck builder or maybe kind of only played a little bit, is it a good game to start with or is it a little more technically sound and might require more investment? Well, it, I, I've never played a deck builder before this, or I might have played like 10 minutes of one and just go, no, that's not for me. But this one really grips me. So, and, and I've tried to play others since this, and it's none of them have been the same. There was that um, Monster Train or something. I played that and I couldn't get into it. So, but, but I did die a lot, you know, at first, and I was doing runs and getting nowhere. But you always feel like you're getting somewhere because you're always learning about the game. So it's, watch a couple of videos on it just to see the basic gist of it before you play it maybe and that'll just give you a little bit of training because if you just jump in head first and you, you've no idea what you're doing then it'll take a lot longer to learn but just watch a couple of videos on it and you should be all right yeah and i mean i ask your opinion because obviously going to the playstation network and looking at a video is just it'll only do so much you can only get so much from that but you know when someone's played it and they have a passion for it 
there's things that they might bring up that you wouldn't get from a video. So I always like to hear, like, when someone's really, really enjoying playing a game, I always like to hear what they have to say about it. So, yeah. Um, you guys have certainly done put in a lot more work than I have this week. I've been rather boring when it comes to my gaming. Uh, I did get the Platinum Trophy in Darksiders 2, which I was very happy about. Uh, again, one of those games I never thought I would get the Platinum Trophy in, and then I go back in and, uh, yeah, I, I, I ripped it out. So one thing that kept me from getting the Platinum Trophy originally was that there was a thing called the Crucible, which is 100 ways of enemies. And afterwards, well, I guess it's 101. But you basically have to get through these 100 ways of enemies, and you do it in like 25 um, wave increments. So you go through 1 to 25, it gives you uh, basically like a safe spot there, where if you progress, you can you don't have to start at like wave 1, you can start at wave 25. So you can go through it, um, you know, bit by bit. The one trophy that threw me off, though, was this one called, uh, uh, where you gotta beat, it's called Brave Old, or Bravo Old Chap, and you gotta beat this guy named Wicked K in a fight, a one-on-one fight, and I had always thought that you had to beat all the Crucible levels in one run to get him to appear. Well, as it turns out, I went online, and I looked, and people were, you know, were beating, getting to, like, level 33, and then after they died, they would go back, and they would have all their options to what they could do, and Wicked K fight was one of them, so I tried it, and yeah, I got to level, what was it, Waves... I think it's like wave 74 or something like that. And then after I restarted it, I could fight Wicked K. I didn't have to get to 100. So really, the uh, the combat ones were easy to go back and pick off. It was the collectible trophies that really gave me a headache. Because I got down to one last collectible. And I was like, I had gone through once. And I was like, oh man, th- I, I know it. This is going to be the collectible that's going to screw me. It's going to be glitched. Or I will, you know, it didn't count when I got it before. It's not going to be there. But luckily, I, I got to the, the very final thing I needed. And it was there. And I was over-fucking-joyed. So, um... Do you guys ever have that where you're, I mean, I know Matt doesn't play for trophies all that much or anything like that, but you're going through a game and you're down to one last thing and you're like, you just can't seem to find it. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. I think back in the day I had one um, on Assassin's Creed 2 the first time I played through it. One of the feathers glitched out on me. It was like stuff, maybe you had to get collect 100 or something like that. and I was stuck at 99 forever. That was irritating. But did you, you, you find it uh, eventually? No, it, well, it glitched out on me. I would have had to start a brand new game and just do it through. I've I've done it since then. I've done I've platinumed it since then. Um, look, that was like back in the day, two thousand and nine or something, when it first came out, or maybe twenty ten. And like, Matt, obviously, this this is like a new account this year, isn't it? So I might do it again this year as well. And Matt, do you ever go for like even if you don't go for trophies, do you ever go just for completion in games to beat them in game like hundred percent? Not necessarily for 100% completely, but there are certain times that there's something I want to go for, whether it's A, collecting all this, or B, doing all the temples, or C, the biggest thing was in Gears of War 2, completing a full horde wave of 50 waves. And my friend and I did that a number of years ago, and it's still probably the best achievement that I'm most proud of, because it was one of the most difficult things for us to do. And that was, you know, not necessarily finding something, but having a goal and completing it. And that was probably one of the only ones that I really cared about. And I had a friend recently who uh, who sent me a message where he had beaten all the shrines, finished all the shrines in Breath of the Wild. And I think he got all the Korok seeds, too. Have you done all that in, in Breath of the Wild? No, I, to that point in your question earlier, there were certain shrines that I couldn't find. I was like, all right, fuck it, I'm just going to continue going. And the Korok Seeds, once I heard that it was, there was no real reward for it. There was nothing to get out of it other than finding out they were really just Korok poop. Oh, and I said, no, nope, is it no, 900 of them or something ridiculous? 
Yeah, yeah. And after I think it was like 700 or so, there was nothing else for you to buy from the shop that you turned them into. So it was it was just literally a completionist thing. And once you did, you got nothing. There was nothing for it. Rick brought up Assassin's Creed earlier, Assassin's Creed 2, but in the first Assassin's Creed, there were the flags you had to get, or you could collect all the flags, and they gave you nothing after you got them. You know, it's funny, give us a trophy for something, and yeah, we'll do it, but nothing, I mean, I totally get it, but, you know. They give you an achievement on Xbox, so I did it on Xbox, maybe not this year, last year, I think. I think it was like 480 or something altogether. You mean for the uh, first Assassin's Creed? For the original one, yeah, on Xbox. Well, they must have. I think they re-released it since then, and they must have added trophies to it because the original release didn't have trophies. No, it didn't have trophies, but no, I mean it's got achievements on Xbox, though. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. All all Xbox 360 games have achievements. That's right, because Xbox achievements were around before the trophy system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Well, yeah. Other than other than Darksiders two, all I've been playing is Street of Rage four. Like I said, I've kind of been stuck in a little rut and just don't really want to start anything new, but. You know, I'm, I'm sure, well, I'm definitely picking up Pokemon, but um, hopefully I'll have something a little more exciting to talk about next week. Um, I don't know how, if you all woke up to this on Friday, but we got a little bit of a punch in the gut, um, especially for people who grew up watching cartoons in the 90s, you know, fans of superhero games, or even if you're just a fan of the Batman Arkham games. We got news that uh, Kevin Conroy, who had been the voice of Batman in the animated series and the Arkham games, has passed away. He died at age 66, which... Is still relatively young for someone to pass away at. Um, I think that I never, when I was watching the Batman animated series during the 90s when I was younger, I didn't necessarily recognize him or realize, you know, how important he was. I never really thought too much of the importance of who the voice actor was behind Batman. But obviously he was a guy that we associate with being the voice of Batman. You know, like you think of Mario, Charles Martinet is the voice of Mario. So just one of those guys who's just, far more important than you ever really think about. And then, of course, you kind of started to realize how famous he was or how important he was in the Batman Arkham games when he was the voice of Batman. And, you know, Tricky had mentioned how he is not the voice of Batman in the uh, in Gotham Knights, and you have to wonder, you know, he didn't really necessarily die of old age. I'm not going to speculate on how he passed away, but you there there had to be some longstanding illness there to, that maybe kept him from participating in Gotham Knights. Um, do you guys have any fond memories of Kevin Conroy or... How did you find out the news that he had passed away? So, based off the news reports, it was actually complications with cancer of why he passed away. Or at least that's what was being reported when the news hit on Friday. But it's interesting to say there's no other voice actor other than maybe Mark Hamill that you associate with a singular character. And that being from the Batman animated series. And I grew up watching Spider-Man more so than the Batman animated series. But I couldn't tell you who the voice actor was for Peter Parker and Spider-Man. But to this day, Kevin Conroy is Batman. And to many of us, he is Batman. And, you know, I just happened to see the Reddit post when it went up on Friday. And I sent my brother, who's a bigger Batman fan than I am. And yeah, it's like you said, it's a gut punch. A piece of our childhood died. But from all the reports I saw, he was a generally all-around awesome dude, and you know he will definitely be missed by his fandom and yeah, family. Yeah, lots of love for for Kevin Conroy. Um, it's uh, an awful situation, but uh, he leaves definitely a huge legacy. I will say that I'll add another person into another voice actor into that uh, that group you had there. Just a very a very small group there with two. Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime, I think, is another voice that's kind of tied to that character. 
like you would associate. That's going to suck when he's gone. Yeah. 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 Um, Rick, sir, how did you find out in any kind of particular, I mean, obviously no one's going to feel, you know, very cheery about this, but you know, anything you want to comment on, on Kevin Conroy's career? Well, yeah, I saw the news there. It just popped up on the Facebook feed, I think, and I just saw it then. I wore my Batman t-shirt tonight, especially for in his memory. Uh, yeah, it's, it just sucks, doesn't it? 66 is no age, really. I mean, it might sound old now. I mean, I'm, I'm 38, but, you know, I'm going to live a lot longer than another 28 years. 66 is, is no age to go, especially not nowadays. Um, yeah, it just sucks, doesn't it? He's, he is the man. He is Batman. He's better than... He's the best Batman, no doubt. Uh, you can keep your Christine Bales, keep your, keep your Michael Keatons, keep, certainly keep your Ben Affleck's, Daryl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you think yeah. about it, how many people who've played the live-action Batmans, you know, you had your uh, Michael Keaton, you had, you know, Christian Bale, you had Val Kilmer, you had George Clooney, you had all these people, and you even had Jack Nicholson play the Joker, but yet, like, it's kind of like the animated series voice actors are the people that they most, that are most associated with those characters. And, like, Batman is Kevin Conroy, despite the fact that these more famous actors have played the role of Batman. I wish there was more like behind the scenes videos from the games, like him and Mark Hamill recording. I've, I've scoured YouTube quite a bit just trying to find anything, and there's just an odd couple of five minute videos you can find, and that's about it. But they look like they had a lot of fun. Yeah, I wonder if there's ever any interviews that they did together. I mean, now, like, you sit, sit down interviews with your actors are a little bit, you can find them on YouTube, they're a dime a dozen. But, you know, it'd be nice if they sat down for an interview with each other at some point and just kind of, yeah. you know, played off each other. I'm assuming they, they did, uh, they worked really well together, so. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Kevin Conroy will definitely be missed, and, you know, no one will ever fill the void now that that of who was Batman. It'll always, you know, you'll play a Batman game, because uh, I'm sure DC and Warner Brothers will continue to pump them out, but it'll never feel quite the same when you hear that voice. You'll just kind of get that little memory there that, uh, that Kevin Conroy is no longer with us. Uh, but, like I said, leaves a legacy, and I know that a lot of people went back and uh, our, you know, I think one of my one of the guys that I work with at Whole Foods, he was talking about how he went back and watched Mask of the Phantasm, very good animated movie from the early from the mid nineties. So, so yeah, I think a lot of people were taking paying homage to to Kevin Conroy just by going back and watching some of the old Batman animated series. A little bit happier news to come next: Death Stranding crosses ten million players as it celebrates its third anniversary. This article comes from IGN. It's written by Anthony Wood. Uh, upon its release, or quote, upon its release on PS4 in November 2019, Death Stranding garnered a mixed reception from both critics and gamers alike, many of whom were unprepared for the radical departure from Hideo Kojima's Hideo Kojima's usual stealth espionage fare. In our review of Death Stranding, we said it a, delivers a fascinating world of supernatural sci-fi, but its gameplay struggles to support its weight. We gave the director's cut of the game in 2021 a 7 out of 10, saying it's more accessible than the original release, but feels like a compromised version of the director's cut. However, the game's complex lore and narrative, which focuses on mass extinction events, the afterlife, loneliness, and loss, connected with a wide player base in the wake of a pandemic, which left many stranded from the ones they loved. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you all. I had never, like, just reading the small description there, I would have never gotten anything like that from what we saw in the pre-release material, the gameplay trailers, what have you, about Death Stranding. I think that the problem with that game is that I'm sure, I mean, there might be a great game in there, but I don't think Hideo Kojima and Kojima Productions sold it well enough to where people who, you know, might have been on the fence 
would be like, oh, yeah, I, you know, this looks like a game. I, want. I think there was just too much mystery in that game to get, you know, even more people to play. But 10 million people is incredibly impressive, obviously. But I, I think that that number could have been even more if it was just clearer about what that game was about. Did, did either one of you play it? Uh, no. It's just one of, the, one of them that passed me by, I think. I think I'd, I'd, I'd like to play it. I might start it. At some point, but it's quite a long, hefty game, isn't it? It's one of them that's a good sixty hours, I think, to get through the story and everything. Is it? Is it on PC now? Yeah, it uh, released on Game Pass um, last month. I want to say September, one of those. It released there, and that was like the big news that Hideo Kojima was hinting at, because months before that, at the Xbox show during the what was not E three. Xbox said, hey, here's Hideo Kojima, and we're working on something. And then a couple months later, Death Stranding oh, came so that's to Game what they were Pass. working on, just Death Stranding coming to Game Pass. Yeah, who knows? There might be something more behind the scenes, yeah. but that was definitely the thing that came to mind when I thought that they said they brought Hideo out. Uh, I did play it. I played probably about 20 hours of it and kind of put it down quietly. It, I've heard that's just when it starts. It's what you have Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I got past chapter three is when they said, like, the game really kind of opens up. And it's, it's really neat in the concept, and I wanted to get in on it early because the entire purpose of the game is building your world with the community. So part of the concept is when you go to a destination, you go out there, you're not networked. You get to that destination, you network it, and now everything else the community has been putting on there, roads, vehicles, zip lines, other things to help traversal, now populates your world. So that way, as you go to do like the side missions and things like that, you now have all these other tools at your disposal for tra- traversing that area. I, Conversely to what you said, I kind of knew what it was when it came out, and that's what intrigued me and the story behind it. And obviously, all of the trailers leading up to the game focus strictly on the story. And the gameplay, it was what everybody said it was. Oh, you're just a package boy. You're making deliveries. But it became a puzzler in the fact of where you're placing those packages, how you're balancing yourself. Do you give yourself the mechanical legs, which give you stronger, uh, what's, what is it, uh, higher weight capability so you can carry more but you lose the pouches that go on your leg and where you carry items there so it's kind of like a package delivery puzzler at the same time with some light run and gun elements you've got bola guns with tasers that you could take out enemy porters and the fact that it's finally hit 10 million players and that it came out on game pass kind of revitalized this the game and I kind of want to go back and play it. And since it's on Game Pass, I think that's my best bet for a fresh start because I don't think there's any way in hell I'm picking up the game where I left it on my PS4 and somehow going back and making any sort of meaningful progress. And I, I don't mean to disparage the game when I make this comment, but I think that Hideo Kojima is one of those guys that could sell a game based on his name. He's kind of one of the few people left in the game yep. history that can sell a game on his name. Um, because he is so beloved and, you know, obviously Konami took a hit with when they separated from him and, um, people still probably haven't forgiven Konami for that, but, you know, he, 
how much of that game, you know, Rick mentioned how long it might take to beat that game. How much of that game, though, is cutscenes and story where you're just sitting back and watching? Because that is something that in the Metal Gear Solid universe that Hideo Kojima, or Hideo Kojima was famous for was the fact that there were a lot of cutscenes in those games. At the point that I got, it was, I want to say like 20% cutscenes and 80% gameplay, but it front loaded a lot of the cutscenes. So a lot of the exposition and things happen at the beginning of the game, and then you go out and you walk. And that's basically it. You're, you're just walking across the United States delivering packages. And there's certain things that you have to be considerate about. But yeah, it's from the area I was in, it wasn't super cutscene heavy at that time. But it was definitely at the beginning, learning all the mechanics, telling you the reason why you're going to do what you're going to do. When you're out in the world, is there someone in radio contact with you? Like like, like the codec in Metal Gear Solid, because a lot of the stuff on Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2 and that, a lot of the stuff comes through the codec, and there's a lot of text comes through there, isn't there? So there, there's two ways to answer that. One, generally no. Nobody's in contact with you until you reach your destination and reconnect that point to the overall network. And then you're talking back to your home base, and I forget his name because Kojima is so great with his naming conventions. Um, there were Dead Man and Head Man and Mask Man and Face Man. It was like a Mega Man game. But what happens when you do go out there and you network the area, then all those things start coming alive and you get other players having put like little nodes with messages on it. And the messages could be cryptic like, you know, hey, maybe this isn't the best way for you to do this. Or don't pee here because peeing uh, the peeing mechanic is in the game uh, because you have to manage your hydration, your boots, your your blood levels. Hideo put so many freaking mechanics in this game. It's ridiculous. It puts Red Dead Redemption 2 to shame. And until you network it, it's very solitary. And that's on purpose to make you feel like you're alone, which drives you to get to the next area to network it to the entire uh, bridge system is what they call it. I'm going to be honest, one of the last things I want to worry about in video games is a hydration level, but obviously it works well within, you know, this game, so... I, mean, I just remember being, like, playing Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and having to eat and be like, really? I understand it's a living, breathing world and you want to make it seem as real as possible, but I just really don't want to be doing that, but... I'm assuming that the the hydration, like having to watch all your levels and stuff, is not as it's not really a hassle, Matt. No, it's not like survival game, uh, survival wilderness games like Minecraft or or uh, Subnautica. It's it's fairly forgiving. What's actually more stressful is the bridge baby that you have to take care of because if it starts freaking out, you literally got to get your controller and like press a button combination and start rocking it to get the baby to relax <laughs> it gets a little meta and it's it's that i found was way more annoying than any sort of like hydration or blood levels hideo kojima has to be one of the coolest and most successful weirdos of all time because some of the stuff that he's going to put in his games are just out there like who would have ever thought of that like we talk about nintendo and how they've come up with some of the craziest silliest games ever but man hideo kojima hideo kojima's coming out there carrying the flag for that yeah, my my favorite thing he did was in uh, Metal Gear Solid Three, where he had to fight the end. Was it the end? The old man, and um, if you could save just before you fought him, 
And if you left the game for like a few days or a week or something like that and came back, uh, he'd be dead. You wouldn't have to fight him anymore. He'd have died of old age. <laughs> it's just genius. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure that more Death Stranding is in the works based on, you know, how successful that that original game was. I can't really see Hideo Kojima making one game and then moving on. He's probably going to, you know, at least get another game out of it. But I think Norman Reedus had made some sort of tweet or something saying Death Stranding 2 was in like pre-production or development. And Kojima came out and immediately was like, yeah, Norman Reedus is a bad boy. He's going to like his uh, he's grounded for a while. So I forget what the exact interaction was, but it was kind of humorous at the time. Yeah, I definitely know that he came out, came out and said that actually that they were I thought it had been confirmed that they were actually filming it or starting things. Um, but I do remember the Norma Reedus had come out and said that, yeah, we're in pre-production and I guess we're going to get started. So, uh, well, Hideo Kojima's taking his time and, you know, going to get at least two games out of Death Stranding. But, man, Sony's really going into overdrive, putting the pedal to the metal when it comes to Horizon because on top of the, uh, you know, the first two Horizon games that have come out, this, you know, the television series that they're they're going to come out with. The Call of the Mountain for the PSVR 2 and the reported PS, uh, the Horizon for uh, Zero Dawn remaster that has reportedly been greenlit. We have reports, and this comes from uh, the original website was MTN, uh, but it was translated by Video Games Chronicle and been posted by Tom Ivan. The quote says Sony has reportedly partnered with NCSoft to make a Horizon MMORPG. So, you guys ready for more Horizon? I'm all about that. Um, I don't know if I'm about it for from an MMO perspective. I, I don't know what they can do or how they can make that engaging. I mean, part of why I love that series was it's because of Aloy's story. So from having it as an MMO perspective, from the hunting, from the gathering, I've, I, I'm going to wait with bated breath to see how they actually make that work. Don't you think it's going to be, you know, the easy response? The first thing I can come up with is, hey, there's a giant machine you're all gonna have to take down and depending on the level of the machine you're probably gonna need more or less people to do it i mean that just plopping big machines out into the world would probably you know and i imagine there's gonna be some you know quest in there I, honestly i don't know if the framework for like world of warcraft would would work well with this where it's like hey go out and meet people do quest and then there's gonna be you know raid bosses or you know big dens where you have to fight some giant monster and you're gonna need a group to do it and i just maybe that's a little bit too too basic an idea but I, I think you run into into consistency problems with that and, you know, minor spoilers, but Hephaestus being the the program that makes all these monsters and all of the the indigenous mechanical life. Is you, unless you focus on something far in the future or sometime between when Zero Dawn happens and when Aloy comes about. I think it would be very difficult explaining that unless you have them focusing on taking down the uh, I forget what the term was for the the planet killing robots that came out Leviathans or whatever they the term was. It it just seems to me like I'd really have to see what ideas they can come out that match the consistency and the continuity of the world without ruining everything that you're supposed to experience under a Well, if it's an MMORPG, I'm assuming that they would stray away and not have, like, a consistent character. Like, we're not going to play as Aloy. I would assume you're going to make your own character. 
Oh, absolutely. And maybe they do it where it's over in Europe or something, because certainly of horizon set in the United States traditionally, and maybe something on the other side of the world is what's happening. And, and maybe it focuses on that. Maybe that's their best bet for making an MMO that is at the same time, uh, the, the world, you know, but different enough to separate itself. All right. And before, before we get Rick's comments, I'll just read from the article by Tom Ivan. Uh, quote, according to news site MTN, the project will be developed by South Korean company behind the Lineage and Guild Wars MMO series and the target global market is part of Sony's push into live service games. We know that Sony definitely loves uh, or live service is definitely a big uh, buzzword for them. and something they're trying to push into. NCSoft is currently recruiting developers to work on the title, which is said to be listed as Project H in job ads. A statement from NCSoft's global communications office reportedly read via Google Translate. It's difficult to confirm information about unpublished projects that are currently under development. Uh, sources previously told VGC that co-op was initially planned for the first Horizon game, but was ultimately scrapped so the development team could focus on the other areas of the title. They said that, they said Sony had been keen to include co-op in Forbidden West, but Guerrilla decided to save the feature for a future project which they believed would either be a standalone online spinoff or Horizon 3. Last year, Guerrilla was staffing for an online game, although it's unclear if the title in question was Horizon 1. Among the roles advertised on the studio's website was a senior social systems designer position whose job would involve engaging players in social interactions to create lasting relationships and, where compatible, create guild-like groups to explore together. You know, heavily hinting, hinting there at an MMO, MMORPG. I, so I'm glad, first off, that even if Sony wanted to put co-op into Forbidden West, they that her, uh, Guerrilla Games had enough pull to say, no, we're not going to do that, and Sony listened to them. It seems like Sony heeds the warnings and the calls of their their studio heads so i'm glad that you know guerrilla games is able to make that decision on their own and not have it forced in their games for them um rick what do you what do you think of this did you have you played many of the horizon games no i haven't i've played um maybe the first three hours again of, of the first one and it just didn't get me uh i've watched my lad play it quite a bit he was really into it um so i've watched him play through it quite a bit and thought you know, maybe I should give it another go. But uh, MMOs have got no appeal to me at all. The only MMOs I play are ones that you can do solo, um, which is a voice point of it, really, isn't it? Yeah, if you just want to play through it solo, why would you want to include other people in that experience or play in that world? No, I totally get it. Maybe this is Sony's... Sony knows that they have the people who will go for the more story-based um, Horizon game, the single-player stuff, but they're trying to bring in as many people as possible, so they think... Because, you know, Sony, obviously, the offerings for an MMORPG, they don't really have them on their console. So, as far as what games they do offer, can you guys think of a better Sony franchise to put within, you know, an MMORPG? No, Because, I mean, Assassin's, or, uh, Assassin's Creed, Horizon's very much about the world. And, you know, you, there are important characters in there, but the world itself is like its own breathing character and the technology and the um, the machines. So I'm not really sure, like, sure, you can do multiplayer for The Last of Us and Uncharted, but I don't know that an MMORPG is really where you want to take those games. Matt, I, I saw you thinking there. I think you're right. There, there's <sighs> The thing is, Sony has been so driven for their story-driven games and, and giving a an enclosed experience, it's difficult to think of any other game that would fit the bill except Horizon. And 
it's the first one that comes to my mind. I, I certainly don't think there's any other game that could make uh, such a good use case for it. Because I certainly would love to be able to join up with my friends and take down, you know, a squad of uh, of uh, Thunderjaws or or uh, the Mammoths. But again, is that the right move for this series to get more interest in it? Yeah, I mean, the first game sold really, really well, and obviously they're they're doing multimedia projects with it. They've got you know the their big kind of killer app at first for the PSVR two is called a Mountain. So I think they're getting the most out of horizon i kind of now just worry that they're going to go too far into overdrive where it's like you see it everywhere and people get tired of it because we're going to get horizon 3 and i don't want to be tired of horizon before then so but i mean as you said matt sony's been very focused on the single player games and now they're just kind of like oh well mobile and live service and pc like we need to enter all these markets so i mean they've done a good job staffing up in those areas but it's a question of are they going to start to develop new IP for these areas like live service, or are they going to try to adapt what they already have to live service? And I guess Horizon's the one they looked at and said, you know, again, this isn't confirmed, but if they are going to go ahead with one they already own, I guess Horizon makes the most sense. I'm all for them expanding the world. Just like you, I don't want to see Horizon 3 suffer for something that somebody wants to experiment with. What about you, Rick? Is there any particular game that you could see that you would want to play as an MMORPG? I know that there hasn't been one yet, but is there a game universe you would imagine that you would want to like, you know, we could have like a giant trophy horse or a loop bros trophy horse group playing a game. And is there any kind of property that you could see wanting to expand its universe and be kind of an MMORPG? Well, it's already out there and it, it just didn't appeal to me. I tried it. It was uh, ESO because I love the Elder Scrolls games. I love Skyrim. I love Oblivion. Um, I've never played Morrowind. Maybe I should, but uh, yeah, I played um, ESO quite a bit, and you can sort of play it solo. But I was expecting to go in and it just to be like Skyrim, but with other people in there, and it's not. There's like little things that are different, and it's so it just it just doesn't do it for me. I can't really think of anything where I'd want to play with other people. I'm just I'm I'm very um I'm very uh, what's the word? I'm an introvert really, and I'm very I'm quite miserable. Well, you play you play games with your when son I'm, when I'm playing games. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's different. You know, that's um, that's di- I wouldn't. I, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of getting in a big group and, and going out and um, playing stuff. I can see a Horizon game being a bit like uh, getting the Monster Hunter crowd interested in it. Yeah, I I just don't like to have my game experiences necessarily tied to other and relying upon other people. That's the thing is that I find that it loses something or when things are not as much in my control that the game loses something and I get annoyed and irritated. So I'm like you, Rick, like RPG, like MMORPGs just have never appealed to me. I don't want to say that there's never one, but the appeal of multiplayer to me is just too kind of predicated on the need for other people and what you never know where you're going to get out of those other people. So. Well, we may be in line for, you know, another thousand Horizon games before, you know, we, we all get done, we all finish our gaming careers, but a little bit of a a new blip on the radar is the potential for a John Wick video game adaptation. This comes from Amelia Zollner at IGN.com. The headline reads, Lionsgate is interested in major John Wick video game adaptation. Quote, while Lionsgate still has two more John Wick movies on their way, 
The studio is reportedly also considering a big AAA game based on the franchise. During earnings call today, Lionsgate CEO John Feltheimer mentioned that the company has been discussing proposals for the game, though nothing is set in stone yet. I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but we believe there is a big AAA game to be made out of John Wick, Feltheimer said during the call, according to a report by IndieWire. We've been fielding proposals. We certainly are interested in moving that forward, but I don't want to say anything more about it at this time. End quote. So, you guys have seen John Wick, as I asked you about a minute ago. Um, but to me, like, is this going to be like a Max Payne s game, or is there more to John Wick than that? Well, there is a bit, but I don't see how you could put it into a game. Uh, maybe something like uh, I've not played it, but Super Hot, where it's um, time only moves when you're doing things, and you can think about your next move because he's he's very much he could be fighting like four or five people, and he's very much knows exactly what he's going to do next. I think there was already a John Wick game that came out. Um, I've not played that either, but I think that's a bit of a Hitman Go type thing. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, as, soon, as soon as you said there's going to be a AAA game, my, my thoughts first went to something like Max Payne or Enter the Matrix or something like that. Yeah, they definitely need to, if they're going to do this, they obviously need to get Keanu Reeves on board and have him be the voice act everything because that would just destroy 100%. the illusion right there. Uh, Matt, what about you? You're a fan of uh, John Wick, or at least you've watched the movies. Yeah, I've seen all three, and they actually just released the trailer for the fourth one to come out. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> so, it, Max Payne was the first thing I thought of, too, but actually another game I just thought of would actually kind of fit that same role. Have you heard of My Friend Pedro? I've heard of it, yes. Yeah, so it's a very, very, very goofy, but also hyper-violent game that revolves you using gun kata to get through the levels. And I think from a 3D aspect, you can kind of do something similar to that, where as John Wick, you have to fight through waves of enemies to get to ultimately whoever you're trying to assassinate and using the various guns at your disposal. I also think I'll liken it to kind of like Deadpool, the uh, Xbox 360 PS3 game. I think you could do something very similar to that. It's just you with guns fighting waves of bad guys. Is it going to be particularly interesting? Probably not. I think it makes a better movie than a video game idea. But that's how I would see it going based off of just knowing what the movie and, and John Wick is like. Because for the most part, He's using a lot of pistols and one-handed uh, automatic weapons. Like It's not anything too deep, and the movies weren't designed to be super deep. Does he know Kung Fu? Uh, he is very good with his hands. I was going to say that because that's, you know, reference to Matrix. Is he, is this in the Matrix universe? <laughs> is, is John Wick part of the Matrix universe? If you watch the last Matrix movie, you, you'd believe that. Uh, I've not seen that yet. Is that any good? Uh, no. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> it, it, it's not so, horrible. So, so far, it there's one good Matrix things. movie, then, out of four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, no. I never alluded to the other Matrixes being good. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it takes some things and throws the entire universe on its head, but ultimately doesn't do anything super groundbreaking and left me with more questions than answers. I think that the Matrix created its own problem where, yeah, sure, the Matrix follow-ups made a ton of money and they were going to be financially successful, but 
you're never going to have a movie that's seen as good as the first Matrix was because once you get that reveal and you understand how the world works and what it actually is, you can never go back. To, like It's almost like Bioshock. It's like it's hard to top that and everything else is kind of seen in the shadow. But, you know, if it's a John Wick game done right, can we put you guys down for pre-orders? Maybe not pre-orders, but are you guys interested in purchasing Maybe it? Maybe a demo. Yeah, maybe play a demo. I, I, I don't see how they can yeah. do it right and do it justice. Like Matt said, it, it's going to be a much better movie than a game, I think. And, and since I very rarely pre-order things, especially new IPs, it would be a hard sell. It would have to be an amazing demo for me to throw down money on something like that uh, ahead of time. But with the name John Wick in there, you guys would definitely give it a look, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, John Wick may know how to use guns, but there's also a lot of fun gunplay in Remedy Entertainment's Control, and we have now confirmation of a sequel for that game. This comes from Remedy's actual website, RemedyGames.com, in a blog post. Remedy Entertainment signs a co-development and co-publishing agreement with 505 Games for Control 2. Quote, Remedy Entertainment has signed an agreement with 505 Games, an international video game publisher and a subsidiary of Digital Bros Group, under which Remedy and 505 Games will continue co-develop and co-publish Control 2, a sequel to Remedy's award-winning Control. Control 2's initial development budget is, amounts to around 50 million euro, and Remedy will retain the ownership of the game's intellectual property. Development, marketing, and post-launch investments, as well as future net revenues generated by the game, will equally split between 505 Games and Remedy. The game will be available on PC, PlayStation 5, and Xbox Series X slash S, and will be built on Remedy's proprietary Northlight engine and tools. Remedy will publish the game on the PC, and 505 Games will publish it on the console platforms. The project is the project is currently in concept stage. So, guys, uh, I did enjoy Control. I thought the story was a little caca, but I did enjoy the gameplay. I thought it was very fun. What did you all feel about the first Control, if you played it, and is there any interest in a sequel? I loved it. And I'm definitely interested in the sequel. And Kakao's just what Remedy do with their stories. I mean, Alan Wake's out there, isn't it? And Quantum Break is really out there. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd much rather have a sequel to Quantum Break than Control, because that's the best game they've done, in my opinion. But Control's, yeah, I'll, I'll, def- I'll definitely play it. Well, you've been listening to Levi a lot there with Quantum Break. Because I think Levi uh, loves that no, game. No, yeah, Levi loves that game. No, Levi put me onto Alan Wake. Uh, I definitely listened to him on that, and then I did Quantum Break, I did off my own back, and I, I, no, I loved it, and I didn't mention I played it until after I had, so Levi didn't put me on that one, but yeah, he he agrees with me, I think he's well up on Quantum Break as well. It's really good, but it's Xbox only, so. And you, Matt? I slept on the original Control for years. Uh, I only played it when it finally came to Game, came to game Pass. And I wasn't willing to spend money on it. After playing through it, I'm willing to spend money on on the sequel. Yeah, I don't know how you guys feel about the the story. I mean, I mean, Rick kind of gave, kind of spelled it out there for us. But but Matt, for me, Control's a game that I can play in spite of its story because it's just so much fun to play. I think that the um, it just kind of went. It was too uh, esoteric for me. It was too hard to follow for me, and maybe kind of remedy you know, gets gets a little out there, like Rick says. I do like how in the DLC that they do tie the their universes together for the all-world events. Uh, I think it's called all-world events. 
basically where they bring Alan Wake into the Control universe. Um, I do like how they did that. Um, so gameplay is rock solid, but the story to me was just way too out there, and 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 the ending just kind of landed with uh, you know like a, a wet fart, and I was kind of like really, but. By that point, I had so much fun in the ashtray maze that I was willing to look past everything to uh, to get to the end. Um, so good it. So, so a couple points. First and foremost, I agree to the to the level that the story wasn't groundbreaking. I think the world around that story was much more interesting. All the notes, yeah, all the videos that's, yeah. of things happening. That's what drove me to continue on in the game. The ashtray maze, I loved, loved that section. I obviously loved that music, but I, I felt the immersion break at the end when Jesse goes, that was awesome. Like, yeah, I know. You didn't have to say it out loud. Like, yeah. thank you for ruining the moment. Um, But I, like I said, it was great, and I would have had a better time if the Game Pass version wasn't so broken. I played that last level in the game four or five different times because it crashed. This game crashed on Game Pass like it was its job. And this was on PC because they were using an older, outdated version. And thank God I didn't throw my controller across the room because the last time it crashed on me, I had just reached the end spot where you're supposed to press triangle to end the game. And it crashed right there. And I just pushed through one more time and I finally beat it. So that ruined the entire story for me, having to deal with a broken ass game on Game Pass. Oh, you get on PC. Works all right on consoles. <laughs> it was fine on the Epic Game Store, but I didn't get it free on the Epic Game Store, not until well after it was out on Game Pass. I think when it comes to all the notes and all the extra story, because it's like the audio logs in Bioshock, like there's a certain amount you have to do on your own. Like you have to read a lot of the backstory rather than presenting it right directly to your face in control. Do you think, I mean, there's definitely a balance there because if you try to put all the story out there, then you're going to probably bore people, but also like making people, you know, giving people all these crumbs that they have to kind of pick up later and read on their own. You know, a lot of people probably pick up a note and they'll be like, you know, I might read this later. Uh, I want to play through the game. I don't want to break any action. And then, of course, later never comes because you picked up 80 notes and then you never go back to read them. Do you think that with how heavily they relied on that to tell the story of Control, do you think they lost anything or that people might have overlooked the story a bit by just kind of not have wanting to deal with the notes in, in real time? Definitely. I can see why. I mean, I loved that aspect of it. I loved picking up notes. I loved reading them. I loved that whole. Um, have you heard of SCP? Where that it's got a lot of its ideas from um, Secure, Contain, Protect. Where it's all all things like that. Uh, it's a website. There's like over ten thousand of these little stories. These SCP items that do weird shit. Um, so I like reading those. So it was very much just like reading those was the story for this game, but. Yeah, I can understand how if you don't read any of the notes, you're not going to understand 90% of what's going on, really. Uh, And I can understand that a lot of people will just say, well, I'm here to play a game. I'm not here to read a bloody book. So, yeah, it definitely lost something. What do you guys think about, like, an audio log, like in Bioshock, where it it plays the audio while you can still play the game and traverse, like, you know, wherever you want to go, go to your next objective? Do you think that'd be better than giving people notes to read or at least making a more 50-50 balance, Matt? I can't tell you how many, all of the audio logs I forgot in Bioshock. So, like, 
I'm of a couple minds of the subject because there's plenty of games that I would love to be able to listen to the log as I go play. And that was actually a big gripe I had of Horizon uh, on some of those audio logs was if I start playing an audio log and I progress to an area that now has a story beat, suddenly the audio logs drowning out the story beat. So it's a difficult balance that they have to play, which is why I don't mind when somebody like Remedy puts notes in a game that I have to sit there and read and doesn't interrupt anything else that I'm trying to do. But you bring up a good point because look at what Destiny did in its original game where it brought out all these grimoires to flesh out the world and they did it even worse. They executed that plan even worse than what uh, a, a company like Remedy would do. They go, oh, you want to read all these grimoires? Go to this app on your smartphone and read all the grimoires there to learn about the story that we don't want to actually do any work and put in the game. So I, I see your point about if somebody wants to engage with the story, there's different ways. And unfortunately, it's a difficult balance that the developer has to decide and ultimately stick with on their vision. Yeah, you got to keep this stuff in game because if you're going to direct people to like another website or an app, you're going to lose people. You're going to lose a lot of people immediately. So you're putting all this work into the story, you know, why not make sure that more people, as many people are going to interact with it as possible. All right, we don't have the soundbite, but we do have a question from the community. This comes from Curtis. Curtis says, I'm really digging PlayStation Plus Extra, wondering if any of the hosts have had it on or premium and what they think of it. Uh, I do not have Extra or premium, Curtis, and Matt does not, but I know that Rick does have Extra. Uh, Rick, sir, any thoughts on Extra? Yeah, I think I've got the pre is premium the top level? Premium is the top level, yes. Yeah, I've got that because I just upgraded it to however much it cost me. I think, you know, I had like seven months left, so it was like you can upgrade it to this amount, so I just did it. And I've not used it. I've um, looked at the games a few times, uh, but the only things that appeal to me are really the PS1, PS2 games, and they don't seem to add any of those. I will... Mine runs out in February, so I will be using mine before then to play Siphon Filter 1 and 2. Uh, and Wild Arms, that's the other one I want to play. Um, so yeah, I'll have to get on them before February, but other than that, no, nothing appeals to me. They, still, if, they need to add more PS1 and PS2 stuff to make it appeal to me. Yeah, did you just, when you, did they make it just cheap enough to where you said, oh, you know, I'll try it out and see how it is? Or did yeah, they... I think it was, I think I, I had like, so, I don't know when they did it, but I had like however long left, and it was like 15 quid or something to upgrade it to the top level. So, yeah, uh, you, you must have had PlayStation now. Maybe I did. I can't remember. I, I must have, it, it, offered, it offered me, yeah, it offered me something to say you can upgrade to this level, so I must have done it. And uh, it seems that you had more hope for the service than uh, than Sony maybe deserved because you obviously wanted more PS1 and PS2 games and they're just not delivering. You think that Sony would have learned from Nintendo and how they've drip-fed people on the Nintendo service, they've drip-fed the old games and Nintendo 64 games and kind of just, it seems, stop putting Nintendo and Super Nintendo games on the service and how many complaints they've gotten for that. You think Sony would have learned from that and had games ready to go. Yeah, all they have to do is put one one game on a month. That's all I'm asking. PS One, one of each. A PS One game, a PS Two game. Can't be that hard, can it? It's not. It's not a hard bar to clear. But you know, Sony's got their hands in so many pots these days. Like we talked about with mobile and and live service, that they wonder if 
you wonder if them expanding their business so fast is uh, is hurting in certain areas. And you know, if you're going to launch this new PlayStation Plus service, if you're going to charge 120 bucks a year for people to play premium, make sure you got if you, the the selling point is the PS1 games and the PS2 games. Make sure you got plenty of those to put on the service before you piss everybody off and people leave the service because you know they've had in recent months. I think it was on the last show we talked about that they've lost two million subscribers to PlayStation Plus, which you know they can always get back. But if you're having people subscribe to PlayStation Plus Premium and you're not supporting the system, you're just going to have more people leave or more people downgrade, and you're going to get a bunch of bad press because it's like, hey, PlayStation Plus tier system's a failure because Sony didn't properly support it. I don't know. You think that Sony would have learned by now, but yeah, didn't they make a new team or the the? There was a guy that was heading up a game Ge- preservation. Game preservation, team. yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I took that to mean that, that they were going for the PS1, PS2 stuff and getting it on the digital platform. But yeah, Curtis, we'll save. We'll also save your question for another week. We'll ask it uh, when Tricky's back on because obviously Tricky is the guy who will invest the most money into PlayStation. So we'll get his thoughts on it, and because um, I know Yield does not have it, so uh, we'll we'll come back to your question uh, when we have somebody who's had uh, a little bit more time with it. Uh, guys, that's going to bring us to our topic of the week. Really nothing in the news, um, I guess, worthy of talking about for topic of the week. But we do have something. Tricky just put the, this on here as an idea. And, you know, it's worth bringing up every now and again, especially since we do have a rotating uh, group of hosts. And just kind of get Matt and Rick's thoughts on this. So Tricky's idea was day one patches. How do we feel about them? Necessary evil or are they a sign that devs are passing, uh, uh, publishing games before they are fully ready? Obviously, we we've seen uh, Ubisoft has done made a habit of of delaying a game like Skull and Bones. The uh, Breath of the Wild two was delayed, and so there have been plenty of games that have been delayed uh, in recent years. Do you guys feel like game like these companies are pushing games out too fast, or do you think that you know we have enough evidence from delays that companies are taking our time with these and they'll only do software patches when necessary? I'll go to Matt first. Yeah. So day one patches are both the greatest and worst thing to happen to video games, at least in my opinion, because it does allow them to get a game out the door and correct any issues they have, but it also allows them to maybe not clean up all the bugs that they need to and get the game out when the time is right. And that's always the delicate balance. You got publishers saying we need this game out. We need to make our numbers. You got developers saying that it's not ready. the two prime examples I give you are Cyberpunk and Fallout 76. Both had very disastrous launches. Both, I think, are arguably very good games in the state they're in now. And yet, the day one patches certainly didn't fix any super issue. You know, they didn't really do much to the game to change what occurred. They just fixed bugs that they found after the game went to mass production. But it's it's needed in today's environment. Games are gr- ever growing more complex with different systems and different mechanics that they're introducing. And unfortunately, with timelines, you just can't fix every bug. And some patches, day one patches are good. You know, maybe they're a 500 megabyte patch and that's not too bad. Where it gets me are when developers come out with these multi-gig patches that need to be downloaded day one so you know guys like us who are adults got responsibilities want to get home 
plop in our game and play it that night and suddenly we're faced with a 10 gig patch because of all the things that they needed to change for release day and i just think at that point it shows poor management on the game and what needed to be done um but that's just and before i go to rick i'll just say that I'll, i'll throw another example this is not a day one patch but you look at a game like no man's sky and how much better that game has gotten because they've you know taken feedback and made changes over the years that's an example of just today of the benefit you know we think about the hideo or not the hideo kojima the shigeru miyamoto quote where he says a bad game is forever you know well that's not really true anymore because to some degree you can go back and fix games with software patches so yeah rick your thoughts on this yeah i think well they had yeah, they're definitely necessary. Like Matt says, games are a lot bigger than they used to be. Like back in the day, Mega Drive games was uh, 12, 12 megabytes. That was a Mega Drive game, and that was just there on your cart. Um, yeah, nowadays they're like hundreds of gigs, aren't they? They're, they're, they're always going to find little bugs and things. There's always going to be something that they need to fix. But when they come to rely on it too much, when they when they know that they've got a broken game and they're not delaying it, and they're just bringing it out, and then they're using this day one patch as an excuse, as, oh, we'll just fix it then when it goes out day one, and then suddenly you've got a 20, 30 gigabyte update on the first day. That's Yeah, that's not right. I definitely feel like, you know, Matt gave the, the example of Cyberpunk, and I feel like that's kind of an exception and not really the rule, because I feel like most games come out, and there's, you know, even if there's a patch, you know, early on, it's not really that big of an issue. Whereas Cyberpunk was a game that on a couple of platforms, it was completely broken. So I think that, you know, from my perspective, if you need to delay a game, you know, have the guts to delay a game. But at the same time, if you can fix big problems within a game day one and you need to deliver me a patch, that's fine. Go ahead and and do it. I would rather you sit there and fix it day one rather than have to do it down the road and me have to play, you know, with some kind of, you know, terrible issue with the game just so it doesn't look like you put out a day one patch. Um, so I, I think that they are a necessity, like you guys said, as how big games have gotten and how complex games have gotten and how much money goes into games. They can definitely fix issue, big issues with the games. And I don't really lose confidence in a company. I mean, yeah, I lost I lost confidence in, Red, in CD Projekt Red because of what went on with Cyberpunk because they deceived everybody. They deliberately deceived, deceived people. But if you just... You know, don't catch everything. I get it. It's not possible to do that. So the only way I would lose confidence in a company, it's not going to be a day one patch. What it's going to be is if you have a problem that you can't fix. As long as you, you know, commit to fixing the problems, I will, you know, I will be willing to give you your, give you my money. But yeah, I, I, not the worst thing in the world, but certainly necessary, uh, more of an annoyance than anything, um, than a terrible trend in games. But yeah, uh, anybody want to close up on this topic or anything else to add? Like I said, they're not the worst thing in the world if they're kept manageable. It's when working adults are trying to come home and they're faced with a 30 gig patch because the developers couldn't clean up everything prior to going gold. It's I, I, I don't think we can do without them now, but. Let's just, I hope devs are able to keep them manageable. And, you know, that there are definitely different quality of internet connections, not only just around the United States, but across the world. And some people don't have access to high quality internet connections. So, you know, maybe you're looking forward to coming home and playing a game and you see this patch that makes it impossible for you to play one, you know, the game that you bought on day one because it's going to take you so long to download the game or download the patch. 
if you know you bought like a, a, a disc copy of a game so with varying internet speeds and connections i can totally understand how that would be like it would stick in someone's crawl where they would be like man this is this is a massive disappointment why got why do i have to deal with this on day one because yes a game a highly hyped game you want to play day one you know you get tears of the kingdom Breath of the Wild 2, you definitely want to play that day one, so I totally understand. But at least now there is a path to fixing a broken game, rather than just having a broken game or a bad game, as Shigeru Miyamoto would say. Well, to to jump to the next logical conclusion of that, look at what Activision just pulled with Modern Warfare 2. Everybody was up waiting for a midnight release for their disc, they get home to find it's a 70 megabyte file and they have to download the entire game. It's ridiculous. It's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. We've been dealing with that with PC forever because we're we're digital only on PC. But at least they allow us to preload the game. There's no misconception. If I go to a game store and I pick up a, a case with a CD in it, I expect most of the game to be on yeah, the friggin' just go disc. And play it, though. Well, and there are workarounds like you know with um, the PlayStation app, you can go purchase a game and then set it to download to your console when you're not at home. So, I mean, these game companies have thought of things and through various avenues, you can, you know, start to download stuff before, you know, you're even home to play it. But yeah, the uh, the whole thing where you got to download a giant data file in order to play the game that you bought on a disc, it's just, it just shows you how much of the uh, the data is just not actually, like, it just kind of shows you the limits that they place on game disc where you think you own that game because you have it on disc and then it's a reminder that, oh, I still have to jump through a bunch of hoops to actually play this game disc that I bought. So, and I actually, because I'm not too keyed in on Modern Warfare, I actually had not heard that story yet. I didn't know that that was a thing. So, but that's not really, let's be real, is that really going to hurt that game or are people going to, once that's done, they're going to play it and forget all about that? Yeah. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? It certainly is. All right, fellas, well, if we're all done here, why don't we get into, why don't we close this thing out and get into some shoutouts? Uh, Rixer. How about you? What, what do you? Who do you want to shout out to this week? I want to shout out to uh, Matt and Alex for recording with me and having me on. And thank you for recording earlier than you normally would. It's, oh my God, it's only 10 to 11. I might even play some games for a bit after I've been on. That's incredible. Wait, you've been playing uh, Slay, the whole, yeah, Slay the Spire the whole time? No, I'll put, I'll put it down after a bit because I, I, I died a few <laughs> times. So I was like, no, I'm having it there. Left it alone now. And shout out to uh, Tricky Neil, even though I'm not here. Um, yes, yeah, that's, that's it. Follow me on Twitch, Redbeard Rick. Yes, yes. Rick, how often do you stream? Uh, well, I streamed tonight, and that's the first time in about 18 months. So, we'll see. Oh, really? Uh, I thought I had gotten, you had posted you, you were streaming more often than that, at least a couple times since then. Uh, I can't remember what I last streamed. But I might have streamed a couple of things on PS4, but no, the, the, I've spent the last few days trying to get it sorted out so I could do it properly um, through my laptop and stuff, which I've managed to sort out now. So I've just streamed for two hours tonight. I did a run on Slay the Spire, um, and I've uploaded it to YouTube as well. So the plan is to do maybe maybe three times a week or something, just in the evenings, like GMT, and then on a Sunday again as well. The, I need to get... a. Uh, an HDMI doohickey so I can play Mega Drive games through my capture card and then the plan is to start streaming some Mega Drive stuff uh, with James as well my boy so he's looking forward to it 
Uh, but yeah, I'm not, not going to have like a schedule or anything like that. Sundays are probably the best times you're going to catch me. Sunday evenings. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm sure that uh, that your son James the Nerd that uh, he is missed out on a lot of Mega Drive games because obviously he didn't grow up in that era. So I'm sure there's a lot you could still show him that uh, he would really enjoy. Yeah. All right, and and you, Matt, sir. Shout outs. Uh, shout out to Rick, our gaming brother from across the pond. Really good talking with you, man. Yeah, Alex, thank you very much. Tricky, thank you very much for having me on the show. Uh, shout out to my wife, V. Uh, she actually just made affiliate on Twitch, so if anybody can go out there and throw her a follow, she's under Gamer Veranza. Uh, I've been saying this since 2011. I actually have it written in a book, so Alex, this is not stealing it from you. She is the fuel to my fire, and uh, love you, babe. Hey, I'm not going to get in the way of, of true love, so I'm not going to claim, claim any copyright to that. Uh, but do, do you guys have a schedule on, on when she streams, or is there like a, a regularly like regular time she streams, or just kind of whenever? She usually will stream. She's kind of a late night streamer here on the East Coast. She'll start around 11 and maybe go to 3 in the morning on uh, some weeknights, because she works later in the day as the week goes on. So... Um, yeah, like I said, just having a follow and seeing when she pops on, but she's generally on pretty much every night during the week. Okay, and I ask because obviously I want to get you guys as many followers and viewers as I can, so I know that having a regular time, scheduled time is easier to get views because obviously people can plan around that and they know when you guys are going to stream. So, But yeah, uh, definitely go out and uh, give our friends a follow. I don't know why you guys are thanking me because we owe you all the thanks because my other two co-hosts are not here and you guys saved our asses this week, so... Definitely want to give a big shout out, a big thank you to Matt. Well, Yield's only not here because of me, though, isn't he? What do you have? Do you have some kind of grudge with Yield? Are you all? No, no, I'm not. No, we've got no heat. No, I just meant them because because we recorded early and Tricky didn't tell him, did he? Well, Tricky apparently Tricky is sending out text messages that are not getting to people, so he called me to confirm the time. I'm like, sure, whatever. Uh, but I guess he tried to call Yield and Yield did not answer, so there was just kind of. A disconnect there. I, I guess it, they might as well be using Dixie cups on strings to try to get in contact with each other. But, um, but yeah, thankfully I had both of you guys. So thank you to Matt and to Rick for saving me this week and giving me two great hosts to record with. Always enjoy recording with you guys. And, you know, just two more great members of our community are the fuel to the fire that is Trophy Horse. Uh, without the community, without you guys, we would not continue to do the show. We would not be our next episode's 550. We would not even make it to that benchmark. Without you all, so we owe you guys everything. So thank you guys. You don't need to thank me for shit. I need to thank you guys for everything. Uh, shout out to Tricky and to Yield, who are not here tonight. Give a uh, a shout out, last but not least, to my loving and awesome girlfriend, Ashley, who brought me barbecue for dinner home. Thank you, honey. I love you. And if there's nothing else, we'll see you guys next week for episode 550. And until then, happy trophy hunting. Bye.
theme song is Venus by the band Even off their album Zenith. Permission granted by the band and 12 Stone Records. You can find them on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash evenphilippines. again my friends it's Sid back with another Sophie's Trophies and this week guys it is the big one we are talking God of War Ragnarok um I've had a look through the trophy list I've not finished the game yet um there is nothing that is gonna spoil the game um all I can tell is a few names and without context it's gonna be very difficult to figure out who is who and what they're doing in the story and things I've gone through Roughly six or seven hours of the game. Um, I have to say, it's it's okay. Um, it's not a massive leap above God of War 2018. Um, it's pretty much the same thing, which is no bad thing. Um, I'm not really in it for the combat. The combat is okay. Um, the Blades of Chaos are back and are better than they were in the last game. I have to say, there's more moves. Um, but, you know, I'm going through it on the easiest difficulty. Um, I'm just taking my time, having a look round. It looks gorgeous. Um, you know, I can say it's on a par with um, God of War 2018. Now, is that a bad thing? No. That is, in fact, a great thing. Uh, because that game was great. So, by and large, this game you could say is great. Um, but at the moment... I've uncovered a few twists and turns, but nothing revelatory. Um, so, yeah, it's it's good. Um, just shy of being great at the moment, I think. Um, but then again, I've not done a lot of it. Um, I have to say the guy um, who plays Odin, I forget the actor's name, but you will recognise him if you've seen either The Good Doctor or... Jurassic Park The Lost World, he's the one in Jurassic Park The Lost World that is in charge of the expedition that Jeff Goldblum goes on and tells Jeff Goldblum um, how to get out of the high hide. Um, you know, he's one of the better characters in that and he is one of the better characters in this as well. So apologies for not remembering his name, but he is really good. So anyway, trophies, guys. There are 36 trophies in this game. I haven't got them all, obviously. Um, and I'm going to cock up a lot of these names, but let's have a go at this one. The first one we have, guys, is the bear and the wolf, which is your platinum trophy. Then we have the florist. Collect one flower from each of the nine realms. Then we have the librarian. Collect all of the books. Then we have the curator. Collect all of the artifacts. How it started. Equip an enchantment. And Spitshine, upgrade one piece of armour. Uh, Spartan Ways, remember the Spartan teachings. Full Belly, obtain all of the apples of Lowen and horns of Bloodmead. They upgrade your health and uh, rage, respectively. Knock off the rust, purchase a skill. A grisly encounter, battle the bear. Blood Debt. Battle the God of Thunder. Backward Backyard Brawl. Sorry guys. 
battle the mysterious Valkyrie. And root of the problem, battle Neohog. Told you I can't say these names. The Cauldron, destroy Grilla's Cauldron. Off the leash, battle Garm. Comeuppance, battle Heimdall. Better together, battle Hrist and Mist. Phalanx, obtain all shields. Collector, obtain all relics and sword hilts. Dragon Slayer, craft the dragon scaled armor set. How's it going? Fully repair the amulet of Yidrasil. Funeral for a friend, attend the funeral. Rebel leader, return the hammer of the rebellion. New friends, fetch Lundo's orb. Or Lunda's orb, I'm not sure. Full guffer, free the half guffers. Making amends, free the Lindbacker. See these names, guys. It was a good day. Retrieve Mardol. Invasive species, complete all of the crater hunts. Besties, pet Specky and Svanna. Rightful place, return all the Linworms to Radoska. Pure of Heart, return the Stags of the Four Seasons. Trials by Fire, complete the Trials of Musselheim. Ready for commitment, fully upgrade one armor set. Ragnarok, battle the Allfather. Grave Mistake, battle King Hrolf. And last but not least, guys, the True Queen, battle Gnar. So... That is your trophy list for God of War, guys. As you can tell, most of them are for just upgrading things and um, uh, beating bosses, things like that. Um, see, no, no real spoilers in the trophy list. Um, I have to say again, Sony is getting much better at their trophy lists. Um, all of their studios are putting out really good trophy lists that are actually good to do. Um, so even Naughty Dog has stopped doing speedrun trophies, which, thank God for that. But anyway, that, guys, is the game of the moment. It is God of War Ragnarok. Um, I may come back to it once I've actually finished the trophy list and people have had time and do a proper um, Sophie's Trophy deep dive into who's who in the game and, and what to do to get certain trophies and things. Um, but yeah, I just thought, some people might want a quick look at that one if they're on the fence about getting this game, thinking, yeah, what are the trophy lists like? You know, that's the trophy list. It's not too bad. So that's it from me, guys. I will talk to you next week and keep stopping Ragnarok. Bye.